Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Ken Church. Uh, he's the CEO of a company called Enscript. We're going to be talking about uh, 3D bioprinting. And the website is the letter N-S-C-R-Y-P-T.com. Ken, how are you today? Very good, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about uh, Enscript. What's the premise of the company? So the thrust is to make something very complex, much more simple than it is done right now. And with the advent of 3D printing, which, by the way, is not all that new, but is certainly matured and feels new because it is becoming more user-friendly, is becoming more to the point where it is a productive tool to use and not just in something where you're making small gadgets, but true 3D parts can be made from that. General Electric is obviously one of those teams that have moved this thing to maturity, and because of that, it is picking up a lot of momentum. And so we are trying to do um, things, I guess, just a little bit differently. Instead of doing a single material, instead of even just doing structural materials, we do a couple of other things. One, we've added some electronics to that. So inside the 3D printing, you can do structural aspects and attributes, but you can also have electrical function. We call those Hmm. printed circuit structures. And so the printed circuit structures is one contribution that we've been working on since the early 2000s. And in the original game, I guess DARPA, they came in and started working with this. They funded this and we coined that printed electronics. And of course, printed electronics has matured some and that has been very exciting to see where it's going. But the marriage between print electronics and 3D printing has become very interesting. And when that started moving in a good direction, I think the question that everybody has in their mind, is this going to be real? Or is this going to be a gimmick? And so what we have worked very diligently on is to make sure that we move out of the gimmick realm and we move into the real. And we do that by uh, fabricating, manufacturing, designing, and selling industrial printers. So we want to make sure that these are the kinds of printers that can go on manufacturing floor and produce products that you use every day. And so in addition to printing those kinds of materials, we also printed biological materials. And the biological materials are things that you might be familiar with, uh, such as collagen. Many people have heard about collagen, and many people have have heard about cells, you know, living cells, whether they're stem cells, red blood cells, or whatever kind of cells that you might be interested in. But in addition to that, other bio inks or or bio gels that put in the right combination can, and put in an incubator environment can grow and grow tissue. And so we have started working on that and we have taken the same approach as we have with our 3D electronic printer, and that is an industrial approach. So we are making sure that we are handling all aspects of the biology from start to finish so that what we're hoping to do is make it so that the biologists can do their part and not have to worry about the printing or the software so much. So what kind of uh, objects are you focusing on in the bio realm? You said collagen, or are there other uh, types of things that you want to print and create? So we, 
we would have an ultimate goal. And of course, this is everybody's ultimate goal, but it's, it's step by step. And so our ultimate goal would be to print entire organs. And so one day we would like to print your heart, of course, uh, print lungs, print kidneys, uh, print uh, those things that are very complex. But it says the saying goes, how do you eat an elephant? And that answer is one bite at a time. And so how do you grow a heart? And in this case, it might be uh, one cell or cell structure at a time. And those are very complex. We understand that. But any organ that you choose, whether it's skin or bone or anything that you would choose, those are still complex. And they require not just multiple materials and multiple environments, uh, growth factors, things like that, uh, but they really need to achieve what is called angiogenesis. Angiogenesis is what you would know as growing uh, microvascular micro, uh, systems or veins, uh, blood vessels, things like that. This is how right. your body works. God has done an amazing job in making an enormously compact bioreactor that is amazing and flexible. Uh, we try to mimic that in some ways. We're not very good at it yet as, as a whole industry, but we're making progress. And so what we want to do is put down those same kinds of materials. So, you know, the kinds of materials we're talking about sort of in a broad term would be called extracellular matrices. And the extracellular matrices can be comprised of typically of, of abiotic type materials such as collagen or hyaluronic acids or those kinds of things. Uh, it is also important to put sometimes structure behind that in the same way that you think of maybe building a tall building, you put a scaffold up and that scaffold holds things in place until your structure is set. This would be how we would approach it in biology too. If we could put a scaffold in place and hold up the collagen that holds the cell. So we'll put collagen, we'll put living cells in the collagen and we print those. So if we print the scaffolds and we print mm -hmm. the collagen with the cells and you put all the, and then you put it in an incubator and put media around it, you give it the required oxygen and temperature, then those cells start their process and they will start moving and tissue will begin to form. Interesting. So you have to, so you create a, a scaffolding or an extracellular matrix and then you use bioinks to what layer in a particular type of cell in and around the scaffolding. That's how you create. I think that's, uh, yeah, object. I think that's pretty well said. Yeah, sure. I think that's pretty well said. I think the difference is, uh, very similar to 3D printing, which is a layer-by-layer -layer process today, uh, this would also be a layer-by-layer -layer process. So we wouldn't necessarily build the entire scaffold and then fill the scaffold. We might build the scaffold at the same time that we're putting other layers of materials in there as well. So uh, complex structures. Scaffolds can be made of lots of different things, by the way. They're known as biopolymers, and probably a, a, a well-known biopolymer that maybe some of us are familiar with and wish we weren't are sutures. And so the same thing that sutures are made out of, it's called polycaprolactone. Many sutures are made of polycaprolactone. Those things can be bioprinted as well. And so those are known as thermoplastics. And a thermoplastic can, uh, I, I think of it this way, Legos. Lego is a thermoplastic, and those things come in whatever form uh, that originates, but they melt. And when they melt, they put it over a mold. And when it dries or gets cold again, when that happens, then it rehardens. So this is what thermoplastics do. And so we take a, a biopolymer, such as polycaprolactone, which might be a suture, and we get it soft by heating it up, uh, soft enough that it would turn sort of liquid form, and then it instantly freezes on the other end, and we can start building shapes with that. Couple yeah. that with 
other things that you could put inside the the scaffold. Uh, for instance, if you want to put a drug inside the uh, polycaprolactone, then you could have a time release of drugs as the sutures, as you know, it start eating away. And, and there are some sutures out there that do this as well. They have certain medicinal aspects to them, but do this in a printer. So we could make scaffolds that have not just, you know, such materials as biopolymers, but it could have some other attributes and some other molecules inside that that might have other purpose that would do or enhance tissue growth. Yeah. Well, I know organs still are a ways off because they're so complex and they're made of different types of cells. You know, some of them are super complex. But what's the first steps in, in bioprinting? Would it be printing skin? I mean, what's the easiest conceivable thing to print first? I think that's a great point. And I think history can teach us what that is. So it, this is not new. First off, we have been working in this area uh, since the early 2000s. Uh, the industry has been working, so a lot of researchers, a lot of universities, uh, good-sized companies. And this is exactly right. They have said, hey, look, we can grow skin. And so a lot of different groups have grown skin. A lot of group, different groups have grown bone. But I would add this. Just because you grow skin doesn't mean you've grown all skin. Skin is actually uh, multiple types of cells, of, of whether it's endothelial or epithelial cells, but in addition to that, it's not just how they're layered. The, the skin on your face is much different than the skin on your forearm. And so if you had to, to have some constructive surgery, let's just say you had a burn on your face and you want that fixed and you, and you took some skin from another part of your body, a lot of times that does not look very natural. It's because skin is not just skin. And so the same thing is now that we have skin, let's just say that we, we got to the point where we're growing skin. And by the way, that is true. Uh, we as an industry are at a point where we're growing skin pretty well. But now that you've grown skin, maybe you want it to have other attributes of skin and you want hair follicles in that skin. And so how do you induce that? So even though it's a simple tissue, you might say, it still can be very complex. And it's the same thing with bones. Uh, bones are an interesting aspect as well. And not only are they just like skin, uh, still alive, uh, very much alive, but there's a lot of action going on in, inside the bone as well. And so how do we do skin is interesting because it gives you a lot of aesthetics. There's some other attributes, obviously there's some sense, sensor part in skin. Uh, bone is interesting because it, a lot of times, I guess, maybe not a lot, but maybe all the time gives you a structure. And so if you're trying to grow bone and there's no structure to that yet, what do you do? Does it just, you just stay off it? Do you put in a cast? And this is what's interesting. Some of the biopolymers, maybe you want to stay in place for a while, provide that structure until bone grows, and then you want that biopolymer to be reabsorbed or, or go away and let the natural bone reside. And so it becomes very complex. It's almost like a puzzle or a chess game, and how do we play that? And this is why this is not a, a single one-man circus. There's many acts going on in this circus. And what we would say is we're all important. And when people talk about bioprinting, they think that they have done something, but frankly, that's not much. I sort of see it this way. If you're going to make a pancake and you put some batter together, you put some flour and an egg. Frankly, I don't know how to make pancakes, but I assume there's flour and <laughs> eggs and, and some water, maybe milk or whatever is inside there. And if you put that together and you mixed it up and now you have pancake batter, the question is, did you make a pancake? Or does it become a pancake after you finish processing it? And so typically we call a pancake a pancake when it comes off the griddle. 
And so I, I sort of view bioprinting as the batter. Now that we put the batter down, then what? Well, it's not much until you finish the process. And so we need to close the loop, so to speak. It's not just about bioprinting, but it's also bioprocessing. And the bioprocessing that we know goes through what's called bioreactors and incubators. And again, God put the best incubator on the planet in existence. And what we try to do is mimic that. And that's with temperature. What, one of the things that we've noticed that we have to have, and one of the reasons we have blood that permeates throughout our body, it's a way to move oxygen. It's a way to move uh, nutrients, you know, uh, waste out. And so these are one of the challenges that we're struggling with right now in tissue growth. We can grow and we can be successful, but when it gets too thick, so if I made my scaffold too thick and I'm putting oxygen near the surfaces, both sides, and I'm putting nutrients and growth factors in the surfaces, both sides, and so now all that is working well, then it grows on the surfaces and it dies in the middle. We have to, we have to have ways to feed the middle as well, and this is just what you're saying. This is why the heart is so complex. It is a very large, very thick, very uh, tall structure that will die inside itself if we can't feed it. Yeah, that's what I've heard is, is how far away from a blood source can tissue be maximum before it uh, it's unable to get fed and dies? Is it like a millimeter or less, or what is the dimension? That's a great question. And so NASA has a challenge out right now, and I believe it's the one centimeter challenge is what it is. I think that's what they're calling it. And if you will show that you can grow this kind of tissue that thick, then they will write you a check for $500,000. Obviously, that is still out there, and so nobody's collected that. So we have a ways to go. Um, there's been great progress in the community, but we still have a ways to go. And so when people are talking, I grew this organ, I grew that organ, we should be very careful. I think what they're really mean to say is, I grew this organ graft, which can be very important. It's like a skin graft. If you... If, if you need skin and somebody grew you some skin and they made a skin graft and that skin is now functional, that's a big step. But that's not the same thing as saying, I grew an arm, I grew a graft. And so I think right. we're, and I might be shorting us a bit, but I think we're more in the grafting area. We are having certain functions come along than we are in the, I grew an entire arm area. So when we start talking about growing hearts and those things, we've done some great things where we are getting great patches that go on there with angiogenesis inside those patches. We're we, we growing veins. And then when they put on, blood is taking on through those veins and they're becoming part of that heart. That is exciting. That's hmm. some exciting tissue engineering that's moving us in a great direction. But, you know, if we're going to start from, uh, you know, extracellular matrices and cellular structures and scaffolds, we are uh, out a bit. Well, how does the body, how does the body tend to, grow an organ? Does it grow it from the inside out, you know, like spherically? I mean, with 3D printing, I guess we're, we're growing vertically. You know, you'd start at maybe the bottom of the heart and grow upwards. But what can we learn right. from so, how the body actually creates organs? Does it do it differently? I think, I think that's a, actually a really great question. And I, I think the difference is when we're printing, we're not growing. That's number one. It's very important to understand that. We are printing. It's a layer-by-layer -layer printing I think the question is, can you keep the cells alive long enough while you're printing? That's going to be important. And so the answer is yes, we can. Now that the cells can stay alive long enough while we're printing layer by layer, now let's start growing and how do we grow? And just like anything, it requires nutrients. It requires media. It requires food. And then it requires oxygen. Uh, this is how our biological 
um, the mammals work. This is how we work. We must have oxygen. And so as we're feeding that oxygen, how do we feed it and how do we permeate it? And so when you start looking inside your body and you look at the number of, of microvessels and you look at the number of, of veins and, and those inside there, there are, there are so much that goes on inside there and it's, the proximity is there always. So we're not centimeters away from tissue in providing fresh blood to that. We permeate throughout the entire structure. So that's one thing we could learn, yes. Uh, the other thing I think that became uh, sort of important too is I learned this not that long ago, but your body produces 2 million cells a second. And so you're mm. punching out a lot of cells all the time. And so, but it kind of makes sense if you think about it because your body is comprised of trillions of cells and you grow hair, you grow fingernails, uh, skin, and you have dry skin that goes away. Where does that come from? Obviously, you know, when you think about how large a cell is at nine microns, that's a lot, a lot of cells that's coming off of you or growing or whatever you're doing with that. So it sort of makes sense. I think what's, what's unique to us is we think that we grow up into an adult and that we always have the body, but the fact is we are constantly a turning. And the older we get, um, that turning slows down. And so that's why when you get older, it takes longer to heal than it does for young people. Mm. Uh, that okay. stuff is, is fun up in them. And so it would be really interesting, maybe, how do we make sure that we have sort of uh, young cells that, that like to, to generate quickly and, and, you know, from a healthy point of view. And so where are we getting the cells, I think, is going to be very important. And so there are some cell sources that I think could be very important to us, uh, actually from the uh, placenta. There are a lot of uh, sources right there, and the amount of cells that are, are fresh and available and this is actually one of the things you can do if you go have a baby, uh, they will actually offer to you, would you like to store some of the cells uh, from the placenta and freeze those? That's because that's right. obviously your kid. And so if your kid grew up and then 20 years later said, Ugh, my heart's bad, you can go back and take those cells, which have been frozen. And if you keep them froze, by the way, they will still age a bit, right? But if you freeze them and hard freeze, and they age very, very, very slowly. And now you've taken pretty young cells, you thaw those out, and now you can grow for your own kid their own whatever. And so let's just say we got to the point where we're growing uh, a heart. You know, and actually, my own personal story is this. Uh, my child was born with just one lung, and this is how I got into this industry. I said, I would like to grow her a lung, and it turns out it's too bad she wasn't missing part of her liver. Those almost grow themselves. And... Hmm. The lung is very hard. And so it wasn't available back then. And by the way, she is 25 years old and uh, married and doing great, but she still has one lung. And so okay. back then it was not offered to us to take cells from her placenta and store those. But if, it, if that was offered to me today, I wouldn't think twice about it. I would do that immediately. And if we got right, to the yeah. point where we could grow that lung, I could grow her her own lung. And then what happens is the rejection. This is This is why kidney transplants are very scary. Your body rejects it. And so you go on where you're trying to uh, suppress that system so that your body doesn't reject it. But if your body rejects a right. kidney, you get a second one maybe, but the chance you get in a third kidney is not good. And so your body just moves in rejection mode. But if you can grow your own and you've got a transplant, then you're going to remove that rejection. And so it becomes the whole process, and this is why I say closed loop. It's not just about printing. 
It's not just about bioreacting and growing. It's not just about how do I store this thing now and how do I get it where I'm going to go. But it also comes from the very beginning is where do I get my cell sources? And so it's, the whole process is going to be very interesting as we go. Bioprinting is one small part of a very big picture. And the other thing I'd say about bioprinting, whether we like it or not, it's going to become real and it's going to become relevant. And I'm going to take it one more step, if I, if I could, not just about tissue and printing uh, you know, tissue for organs, but what about mm -hmm. drugs? Could I print drugs? And so we actually filed a patent on a 3D printing compounder. And so if you think mm -hmm. about what chemical drugs are made of, there's just only so many fundamental elements out there. And so if you go look at the elemental chart, there's just only so many elements there. And when you start mixing right. some of these things together and you go through a certain process, then you get a product. And then if that product goes through FDA, which is very expensive, and it actually survives clinical trials, then it goes out on the market and they start selling that for a very hefty price until their patent runs out. And then that's where you get generics. And so here's my question. If the drug is very, very expensive, very expensive, and you happen to have a 3D printing compounder at home, and somehow or another you found the recipe online, right. are you not going to print the drug? I mean, yeah, you probably would, you'll, yeah. You'll, you're going to do what you need to do to survive is the point. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to right. really bring a lot of complex issues to the drug companies as well. But I would also say there's a new kind of drug that's coming out now, and it's, it's, a, it's a biological drug. And so the biologics are not just chemicals, but they actually have maybe a cellular base to it. And so there's a, a group that we're working with right now. It's a, it's a new startup, and they're taking from the pancreas, they're taking islets, and they're taking fat cells that have um, microvessels in the fat cells. They put it in a bioprinter, and they print these tiny little spheroids. And so now you have a biologic drug, these little spheroids. And they put these things... Uh, right now, they're in, it's in uh, uh, animal studies in mice, but when they put it in the mice, if the mouse had a blood sugar level of 600, put it under the skin subcutaneously so they're not opening the mouse up and putting it inside the liver or any place like that. They just put it right under the skin, and the blood sugar level then uh, corrects itself, and it comes down to 120. This is going to be an enormous contribution, but it is a biologic drug. And so what does that mean? is the question, and how do we handle that? And so these same bioprinters, again, are not going to just print you know, drugs, as you know them, from chemical drugs, but we're also going to print biologic drugs as well. Then also moving into tissue, you know, printing that. Whether we like it or not is the point. It is, it is going to come of age. And when it does and it matures, it's going to make an impact. And now drug companies, uh, doctors, hospitals, everybody's going to have to consider how does this play into our medical system. So what's your path forward with, with your work with Enscripts? What, what are you working on now, and what, do you, you know, what are your particular challenges, and where are you headed with it? So I appreciate the question. We're headed to space, and so uh, to space and beyond, I guess. Uh, we are scheduled to launch in February of 2019, and we are putting our bioprinter with our partners, TechShot, on the International Space Station. Uh, they're going up oh, wow. there with some very set experiments, and the very set experiments, so they're having certain bioinks that will go up there, but it has to be very automated. And so they don't want the, you know, PhD biologists trying to be up there and, and babysitting this. So the whole thing has to be very automated to the point where the, the astronaut, you know, punches go. And then after it does whatever the printing makes the batter, so to speak, and then we've got to get it in the griddle, which is the bioreactor. 
So all of that is on, it will be on the International Space Station. And so we will have some experiments that go up there. We took our, our printer and we put it what they call the uh, vomit comet or the parabolic flight. And so what that mm. does is, is it starts making an S curve up and down and up and down. When it's coming down, you go into zero G and you get about 20, right. 25 seconds of, of zero gravity. And we printed up there and we said, if we get a very viscous material that holds a structure, sometimes that can limit the cell mobility, but we can make 3D objects doing it. And so we made this uh, collagen type material. Uh, actually, we used a pleuronic material. We used a pleuronic, I think a pleuronic 127 with cells in it and you made it more viscous and we print it, it holds structure. But we said, we want to reduce the viscosity, and when we reduce the viscosity, it makes a puddle. It won't hold. It just makes a puddle. And we said, we so you think... Were taking advantage of the, of the, you were taking advantage of the brief zero-G time, the 25 seconds, to try to quickly print the structure? We did. And so when we went to zero-G, we printed that structure, and it held as, a, as an object. The structure was beautiful. And then when it came out of zero-G, it makes a puddle. And so... We need much longer than 25 seconds now, and that's why we're moving to the International Space Station. Hmm. Gotcha. Huh. Very interesting. So what, what, so what are some of the about, first structures that you want to you create? Collagen is one of the first structures, or do you want to go for skin or something else? What's, no, what's the first thing you want to create? Certainly, certainly what, right. So certainly what will happen is we will start with some, some basic biology, tissue engineering that we know about, but we want to see it in three dimensions. And so we will grow print. I'm sorry, we should be careful with our terminology. We will print... Um, structures that you would do down here where you're, whether it's going to be print bone uh, type materials or skin type materials, but print tissue type materials in a structure, we, we can orient that so we're printing in, in, in the XY plane or orient it so it's in the YZ plane. In microgravity, it doesn't matter which plane you put it in. So we'll have that, put that in, show, some, show both planes so we could show growth in that. Those pieces will then come back down to earth and we will uh, characterize those. Uh, we, are, we are opening this up so that other people can be part of this program. So if you're a university and you said, here's the experiments I've been working on, I've been struggling with this, I would really like to see what this looks like in microgravity, uh, they can actually get on a launch. They can more than likely get um, some funding to do it. They can get on a launch. Materials go up there, all the protocols. Our partners at TechShot have an, a direct uh, link to the space station from their company and we can set up the experiment, and then they can run experiments as they would like to see them. So our, our first experiments will be some fundamental studies so we can get this thing going, moving in that right direction. But eventually, yeah, I mean, could there be a business model that if we're seeing that, if you think about what are the things that we learn from, from God's sort of way he does it, one, you're, you're, in a, you're in fluid. You're in a lot of fluid. And as they grow, I wouldn't exactly call it zero G, but you're sort of floating. And so as these you know, babies start to grow, they're floating. And so is there an advantage in floating? And so we're going to see what happens up there as we're floating. And we put all this together and put that bioreactor that way in that floating. And if there's a real advantage up there, and if that's how it comes out, if this is how it comes out when it's all said and done, then uh, we will figure out, I'm sure, whether it's Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or somebody, I'm sure they're going to figure out a way to uh, put a good commercial product together. I think the question is, if I could grow your heart on the, on the space station and you needed one, you know, are you open for that? I think the answer is most of us would say we'll take it, you know. But if it costs me yeah, half definitely. my house, I'll pay for it. Hmm. Okay. Well, very good. So what's what's the best way for people to find out more about what you're doing and to follow you when you get onto the space station, you know, to I'm sure you'll be blogging about it or posting about it. So what's the best way for people to follow sure. up? 
Yeah, sure. And so I appreciate you uh, calling out our website, Inscript, N-S-C-R-Y-P-T.com. We are breaking up a new website in probably two months, but please follow us there. As that thing opens up, uh, we do also, you know, have Twitter and uh, Facebook, and these guys are following it that way. So standard social media is our guys are out there talking with that stuff. But uh, we're pretty jazzed about it. We're pretty jazzed about what might happen in these next steps. Uh, we are putting some partners together in different universities, uh, putting our bioprinters in these, these places, uh, not just across the U.S., but around the world as well, and trying to stay close to them. And we'll also tweet about what they're doing as well. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I hope you guys make this stuff work because we all need it or we're all going to need it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.